Welcome to Hills I Die On. Thanksgiving stinks. Being old is awesome. I believe twins should be separated at birth. The Bachelor is the perfect way to find love. Adults who like Disneyland are deeply unwell. Hello and welcome to Hills I Die On. Today is a very special day on the pod because today we are joined by a dear pal and a true industry icon. She's an incredibly talented and prolific writer, director, producer. She's the creator of the show My Boys. She's written, produced, and or directed countless other projects, including Night Court, Home Ec, Superstore, Mad About You, Avies, etc., etc., etc. And she currently serves on the board of directors and the negotiating committee for the Writers Guild of America, aka the WGA. I'm really excited to have her on today. Please welcome to the podcast, Betsy Thomas. Oh, hello, Taylor. Hi, pal. <laughs> Hi, pal. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy too. Next time, let's do it when I'm not, we're not on strike. I would. I was going to say, I, it would be way more fun if it was in a writer's room or like a bar. Yeah, <laughs> but it would be uh, great. But in the middle of a strike <laughs> with it, your... It's slightly less fun, but at least I get to see you. It's true. It's. I'll take it. Honestly, this is... Leaps and bounds better than sitting at home texting you, panicked, being like, what's going to happen next? And I'm sure I'm the only person texting you. Sure. Yeah. Let's say that's true. <laughs> completely kidding. I know you're getting bombarded. Oh, no. I'm happy to. I really am. You're I have so to great. say, in 2007, I was running a show in, in my own world and yeah. had a brand new baby. And I oh wasn't even really sure why we were striking or what was really happening. I was, and I was, and so I, everybody who's like, wait, what's going on? What am I allowed to do? What's happening? I right. totally get it. I'm here for you because it's, it's very easy because of the jobs that we have right. to be kind of in a, the fog of survival. Sure. <laughs> and so it's not, you know, it's like not everybody has the wherewithal to understand what it is to be a part of a union and what that means and how the union union is actually there for you and, and, and is totally accessible but I think it's just, it's not until you really, I feel like, get into the leadership, that's when you really realize that. Amazing. And, and honestly, that's why I wanted to do this today, because there's got to be people who could use a Betsy in their lives. So this is for everybody who maybe doesn't have a Betsy that they can text at all hours of the night, <laughs> trying to gently throw in an exclamation point in an emoticon so yes. that you don't completely murder me. Um, yes, uh, I would love to just go through it. I, yeah. I've also been talking to pals in the Midwest, pals in different industries um, who are are confused and understandably so because a lot of the media coverage and some of the headlines have used debatable word choice. Uh, a lot of it probably coming straight from the studio's mouths themselves. Uh, Most and, likely. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just hoping that we can sort of start from the beginning on a very easy to understand strikes for dummies yeah, type great. of type of level uh, and then go on from there to discuss what's going on. Sound good? Fabulous. Fantastic. Uh, so my first question for you is just for those less familiar with what's going on, can you summarize who the negotiations are between and when slash why they're happening? Yes. Um, so every three years, this is true of all the unions in Hollywood, our contract with the companies, which is the AMPTP, mm -hmm. and that is the gar uh, bargaining body that is the um, Alliance of Motion Picture Television Producers. Yes, I've been calling them the Motion Picture and Television People. <laughs> I love that. My former assistant Becky called them used to call them Ampetipa. Which I oh, good, like. good. Ampetipa helps me remember <laughs> that there's an extra P in there. Yes, yeah, so that's why we in my house they're Ampetipa. Amazing. Um, and so and we, Ampetipa includes the so major it's all studios. the major studios. Um, so it's uh, Warner Brothers, Discovery, um, Sony, Paramount. Uh, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, 
ABC. I, you know what? How it all divides down. Disney, obviously. How it actually divides down now, I got to be honest. I get confused because now everybody's merged and there's different this. And yes. it's like, that person's from, you know, Max. And I'm like, is Max separate from Warner Bros. Discovery? It's hard to keep up. Totally. So just well, say yes, it's Ma- all those, all the folks. Yes. Max was acquired by Discovery. ABC famously owned by Disney, yes. which is why this is getting harder and harder because now it's almost like four companies who own 90% of the profits. That's correct. But even within those companies, I think they're, who is in that room? So when we're negotiating, yeah. we're in the room negotiating with the chief negotiator for the Ampetipa, <laughs> Carol Lombardini. And then, right. so the, the, that, the Ampetipa is there, there has their own negotiator that represents all of them. But okay. also in the room are the labor lawyers that represent each of the studios. Right. That's really good to know. I did not know that. Yes. And uh, reps for some of the production companies as well. Or is it uh, mostly just the studios? Well, no, it's just the studios. Okay, great. Good to know. Yeah. It's just the employers. So those, re- and so what those people do, so there's a building in Sherman Oaks where that's all they do. So all they do all year round is negotiate with various unions wow. and prepare for the negotiations with various unions. Wow. So uh, I think it's tomorrow or the next day. I have no sense of what day it is anymore. You're um, doing great. The DGA will be going in and they'll be doing their negotiation, yes, their contract. The ex- guild. Yes, mm-hmm. the director's guild and their contract expires uh, June 30th at 30th as does SAG. Amazing. Which so I do want to get into because I think that will affect our cause as well. Correct. Uh, it's hard to say. We, we, we don't exactly know. I mean, it's, okay. you know, it, we don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in either right. of the negotiations, obviously. So it's hard to predict. And I know it's, a lot of people like to talk about that. And I will say that, you know, it's very natural and I, I do it too. So that's why I say it's natural because yes. I actually know how to recognize it to in a time of uncertainty, feel like there's something that gives you sign of when it's going to end yes. or some kind of hope. Absolutely. And, you know, the truth is there's that, that doesn't exist. Right. But I totally get the instinct of wanting it, and, and I want it too. And the thing that David Goodman says, which I'm going to paraphrase and he says it better, which is the uncertainty that we feel, they are also feeling. Totally. And that's the best leverage we have. Hell yes. That's great. And so when you're feeling that uncertainty – it is calming to know that they are also feeling that on the other side. And that is actually the thing that will drive them back to the table. And so we just have to be a little bit braver. Amazing. <sighs> Working on it. Love yes. that. It's hard. <laughs> we'll I tell do some you, push-ups before we I, this out. is the speech I give myself every day. So please don't think that I don't understand because I do. Oh, no, of course. Yeah. Of course you do. Um, so great. So so the negotiating committee for the AMP for Ampetipa, uh goes up against the WGA committee, which yes. is a board of directors that everyone in the guild voted for. Well, it's for. actually a negotiating committee. So what? our 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 the negotiating committee that's in the room has been um, appointed by the board of directors and oh, signed great. off okay. on. So mm-hmm. it is not some of them. I would say there's like half of our board of directors is actually on the negotiating committee, but sure. then there are, there are other members that are just regular members from all the different facets. So it's from um, comedy variety, from screen and from television, episodic television in both drama and comedy. So it's a committee that um, Meredith... Steam, who's the president, and Michelle Maroney, who's the vice president, and I'm the secretary treasurer. You know, we we put together with the help of staff and and get people who are willing to serve on this committee. So Amazing. that's who's in there. That's great. And so then you guys have spent the last month 
right? Negotiating. It was six weeks. So it was off and on. So we, we start, we, we negotiated for three weeks, I think four weeks. I don't know. It's all, but something like that. Then we took a little, just like a week break because we had to get our strike authorization vote together when it appeared that, you know, they were going to need to see a, yeah. Something more convincing to yes. get off their positions. Yes. And for those unfamiliar, the authorization vote does not guarantee a strike, but. But it it is a show of the support and solidarity of the union, which allows us to go in and tr- and hopefully have maximum leverage to make a deal. And then in the event that we find that we are not getting to a satisfactory deal, allows us to then call a strike. Great. So you were feeling early on in the negotiations that Ampatipa was not willing to come to the table. Well, they were at the table, but it didn't feel like they were really hearing us. Got it. It felt like they weren't really understanding or willing to listen to the significant issues that were happening for writers right now. And, you know, as I like to say, is it a lack of understanding or a lack of interest? I don't know. But it, it certainly appeared to be, you know, one of the two. Yeah, if not both. If not both. <laughs> Good to know. Uh, that, that can come out of my mouth, don't worry. <laughs> um, interesting, very interesting. So I'm curious, when you guys were negotiating, was it, um, did it feel like it was friendly? Did it feel like it was? Yeah. It did, but it just felt like it wasn't being taken seriously. It's a very, so the negotiations are a very um, highly scripted, very formal. So it's not like we're sitting across the table going, well, what about this? And it's free form. It's, it's not very, like divorce lawyers. No, no. <laughs> Ellen Stutzman is running the lead at the point. And if any of us speak, which we would, it was calculated and very, and made sure because we're trying to address certain things in certain times and certain, you know, trying to, and then on their side too, they do the same thing. It's for the most part, Carol Lombardini is leading the charge and then it's delegated to other individuals if there's something specific they have to talk about. Fascinating. That's great. And so then when all was said and done, when, you know, midnight struck Monday, May Mm -hmm. 1st, we had not come to a deal. And based on the beautiful, extremely comprehensive list of committee demands that that WGA later published, it looks like we're very far apart. We're pretty far apart. Yeah. I mean... When you look at that, you see it looks like we're very far apart. But the truth is, it's not that hard to make a deal. Right. You just, they just were unwilling to even in any way seriously address some of our core concerns. I mean, you can't, when we talk about AI, which is impossible for anybody on the planet (laughs) to not have read nine articles today alone about this emerging technology and how, you know, how kind of a runaway train it is, that when we have a a very, you know, a really clear proposal about about the use of AI and wanting to put that in our contract, Mm -hmm. because obviously in the next three years, we won't be able to negotiate again for three more years. So when we're negotiating anything, we're not even necessarily negotiating always for right now, but we have to anticipate what might come up in the next three years sure. because the next crack we get at this thing is in you know 2026. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they wouldn't even talk about our proposal. Right. Just for those unfamiliar, the WDA, excuse me, the WGA released a very comprehensive list of the committee demands coupled with how the studios responded to each. The document can be found online. I will also link to it. Um, but yes, I would love to go through some of those bigger line items. Well, just the point is that 
we tried to have this conversation. We yeah. tried to talk about it. We d- made a presentation about it. Mm-hmm. We tried to get them to engage. And when I say engage, they won't even, like you present and they go, thank you. And then they never talk about it. Wow. And then when they finally did, when it was push, 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 just like we have to talk about it. Right. We have to have some conversation about what your issues are or how do we get someplace together on this? Their response was they offered an, a, an annual meeting. Yeah. To discuss how the emerging technology might be affecting us. It's bananas. It, it's so offensive. I, so real quick to back up again, I want to talk about the AI stuff. Um, I also just think it's important to really break down what it is that we were asking for and not just what, but why we were asking for it. Because I think with AI specifically, there have been a lot of shitty articles out there prompted by the, you know, the studios. Yes, yeah. exactly. Saying things like writers want to get paid for AI work. You know what I mean? Like, or, or they're blind to the future or, um, you've seen the headlines. I'm sure I haven't. I actually oh, avoid wow. all that stuff. Good for you. So I <laughs> wake up every morning and I doom scroll until it's time for me to strike. Um, but, <laughs> or, or I text you. Um, but yes. Okay. So there, so there have been some of that rhetoric out there and people have asked what, the writers are asking for specifically. So let's start with AI because it is super fascinating and has been a buzzy, uh, buzzy topic. Um, okay, it says regulate use of artificial intelligence on MBA covered projects. AI can't write or rewrite literary material, can't be used as source material, and MBA covered material can't be used to train AI. And the reason for this proposal, correct me if I'm wrong, was to basically prevent the studios from taking content we wrote and not paying us, but then using AI to expand upon it. And that feels pretty wrong, correct? <laughs> correct. And to train AI, you can, you know, you have to use something to train train ChatGBT. Yes. And it prevents them from using our material to to train it ChatGBT. Right. And it prevents them from also feeding a novel into ChatGBT and then handing it to a writer to polish right. that screenplay. Right. It just, it takes it out of the writing process. Yeah, that's great. As you mentioned, AI is a big deal, not just for writers. It's going to be a big deal across platforms. Yes. I mean, first of all, there's been some great memes about what would be easier to replace a writer or a freaking CEO. Yes. <laughs> and if a CEO is just looking at algorithms and data, what could do that first AI. So it seems wild to me that the first everyone assumes they're coming for the writers first when there's business models that and and career paths that could be at greater risk. Well, and by the way, AI is just one of our many proposals and now we're going to go through yes, the rest, yes, but course. I think it's a good segue to say if, if there's one way to sum up why we're striking or what it is that writers are facing, it is that what the studios have been trying to do over the course of, of since streaming came into the picture, and this is driven by the streamers, but it's a microcosm of what's happening in the, the country at large, which is trying to eradicate, to devalue and re- eradicate labor right. and unions of course. as a result. Yes. And, you know, we happen to be one of the most powerful unions in the country. And, and so what they've done by devaluing writing is by hiring us for fewer number of weeks, paying us less money, expecting us to do more in a short period of time, disconnecting writers from production. So what for those who near, you know, family that's not here in the business, you know, the history of this business, particularly in television in the heyday, 
has been writers have been a part of production. So you have a writer there on set so that when you want to make changes to the script or, you know, the writer's there to make a call of like, you know, I think I think the blue shirt's better than the red one or I think the tube of toothpaste needs to be a little bit wound a little bit tighter because those are all these small things that are writing that are a part of the original vision of that script. And some of those things have been specified and some of those little tiny details are not specified in the script, but they are still part of that vision. And what they have been trying to do is take us out of that process to save money because they don't want to have to pay what we call our overscale fees, which typically has been called our producing fees. Right. They think, well, if they don't produce, if we just stick them in a room, we'll pay them minimum. They won't get their value, which is not just for actual physical producing, but is what you get for seniority and moving up the ladder, um, the career ladder. So they've eliminated, they're trying to eliminate that and they've done a very good job. So what's happened is our union where we used to have one third of our union was working at minimum. Now it's half. Yeah, that's wild. And I mean, I, I feel very lucky in that a lot of the shows I've worked on, I've gotten to be on set and I know you have been on a zillion sets also directing. And I, I in my experience, there has yet to be even one scene filmed that hasn't required writer that's correct interaction and and that's not to say that everyone on set isn't fantastic and doing their own you know it also requires every single other facet to do wonderful things but the filming is the second part of the writing process followed by the editing the third possibly most important part of the writing we call it the final rewrite yes exactly editing is the final rewrite and there is a reason so when people ask all the time why it doesn't say Taylor Cox writer, why it now says right. uh, producer Koi P, it, because those P's are for producer, because yes. as part of our negotiations, we are supposed to be paid for the production side as well. Well, this is what we're saying. That's yes. exactly right. And it used to just be a given, and it's the way everybody knew yeah. that it happened, but it was with the advent of streaming. Yes. And, you know, part of it came from they've disconnected. So you, you have the room that gets together. They write all the episodes, Mm -hmm. fire all the writers, let them go. Mm -hmm. And then wait four months, five months, whatever, six months even to shoot the show. Mm -hmm. And they just keep on the one showrunner because the showrunner is not being paid on a weekly. Anyway, they're being paid on an episodic fee so that it doesn't, and, you know, they take advantage of the showrunner who isn't going to walk away from the project, even though they're being underpaid, because this is their baby. I mean, they're preying on our pride in our work. Absolutely. And it's, you know, what what writers will do, and this is what's been happening, is we'll bend ourselves, we'll twist ourselves into a pretzel to make it good, because that's how we are. Absolutely. The pride in our work is is the thing that will make us, you know, work ourselves to the bone and accept less. And that's, unfortunately, they've taken advantage of that and we have to put a stop to it. Absolutely. I love that. Beautifully said. And I completely agree. And I don't even think it's just at a showrunner standpoint. They're now uh, saying, you know, if you want to be on set, oh, it'll be good for you. You'll probably want to learn. So you don't have to be there, but which also is code for yes, you do. <laughs> and as someone who's never run my own show, but has been through the process, I want to be there. I yeah. want to see that my, the, the episode with my name on it turns out great. Yeah. I want to be part of the process. And so I'm, I'm not going to opt out and that, that sucks. So. Right. Yeah. Any show that you watch, I mean, pick, pick one of your favorite shows yeah. that 
showrunner was trained by somebody else because they spent time in the writer's room and then on set, mm-hmm. they went to editing possibly or probably that, that is how we have built the most successful television industry in the world. Right. That exact chain of mentorship. Right. That chain is being broken. And so there are showrunners who've never been to set. There are co-EPs who've never been to set. There are, there's going to be a future generation that doesn't know how to do that job. Yeah. And, you know, a part of me thought that this was their, purely just their greed and their uh, ignorance. And I've actually started to come to wonder if it is actually calculated. Because by devaluing the showrunner, it reduces their overall cost value. It reduces their power. You know, I feel like, I now, maybe I'm paranoid, but I, I sort of feel like it doesn't, again, it's so hard to tell. And this was one of the things that we would laugh about. It's not funny at all, but about, you know, is this, is this complete miscalculation on the company's part right? or is this complete ignorance? Sure. And then there are others that believe like me, it is calculated ignorance. At least not anymore. I, it may yeah. have been ignorance. I, I would agree with you that it may have been ignorance when, you know, people like Amazon who famously didn't they sell shoes (laughs) like they deliver things to your house they do free delivery they don't make tv so when someone like amazon is your boss maybe they didn't understand how tv was made at first but correct everybody who's running the television i mean the entire i'm giving them the benefit of the doubt 10 years ago right but the entire entertainment but this has now been six or seven years yeah their entertainment division is run by people who all have been doing traditional, you know, broadcast television their entire careers. So, yeah. So it's hard to claim ignorance, you know, it's, and the same thing at all the streamers, the same thing is true at Netflix, same thing is true at Apple. I've worked with all those people. I know those people. They all worked at studios and networks. Has anyone asked them point blank? Did anyone get a little feisty in the room and just be like, how do you go to sleep at night? (laughs) Wouldn't that be so Are you satisfying? That would Are be you so aware? satisfying. This is why they can't let me. No, in the we room. don't. We don't get. We're not allowed to talk like that. But oh, that's really it's nice. it's also whatever the companies are doing, whatever they're thinking. People's estimates, like I have no idea. None of us have any idea. Right. But what matters is that we're doing what we're doing, and yes. what we're doing is is the best we can possibly do to get a, a deal for the writers, yes. and to really protect writing as we know it as a profession. Because I really am convinced that. And, and, and I think all of us are more convinced now than when we went into negotiations, by the way, that this is a purposeful devaluing and that we have to, we are at a real, it is now or never. Yeah. If we don't do it now, if we do not put our foot down and take a stand now to protect the number of weeks writers work to protect their overall compensation, to put in safeguards against so many of the abuses mm-hmm. um, of and for like for screeners of free work, mm-hmm. to protect comedy variety writers and streaming because mm-hmm. right now they have no deal whatsoever. There are so many things that all fall under the umbrella of enough. Yeah, we cannot let this go by like this any longer. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. I, I also text my dear JJ Philbin often uh, when I because I have to take you know breaks in between each of you <laughs> so that you all don't block me at once. And I was like, I'm so afraid to strike. And she said, Taylor, we should be more afraid if we don't. 
And oh, I was like, great. that is really beautiful. And I, I loved that because I was like, you know what? You're so right. It's a short term shitty situation that could help us long term exponential. Well, if we, I mean, we, you know, 15 years ago, we struck for jurisdiction over the internet. And I will tell you what that was like, because I was at a show. I had to be like, what are you talking about? And I remember my friend of my college friend who was, who's a, was a music manager. And he was saying to me, Betsy, people are going to watch television and movies on their phone. And I broke out laughing and I said, you're out of your mind. What are you talking about? I think I had a Blackberry. Yeah, that sounds That's about right. That's what I had. There was no iPhone. It, I don't think it existed. And so the idea that you would ever watch something on your phone or that this would become some kind of a, he was like, I remember him saying, like, no, they're going to have these services that you can stream through your television. And I was like, like AOL is going to be on my TV. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. That's what I said. (laughs) And when we were striking at that time, I think a lot of us were like, I don't really know exactly how this is going to impact me, but I trust and I trust these smart people that are out there. And and I know they feel very strongly. And the fact that the AMPTP is fighting it so much must mean they're onto something. Right. So true. Because it's really easy to give stuff that isn't going to have impact. For sure. It's usually the things they don't want to talk about that are at the heart of why you're doing it. And and then now half of our membership works on streaming. Yeah. That's wild. And so, uh, well, first of all, just real quick, I wanted to read this thing that I came by today written by uh, Jen D'Angelo. Do you know Jen? Yeah. She's a writer, um, incredibly talented, uh, loved Hocus Pocus too, if you're listening. <laughs> Um, but she wrote a really great thing today, um, just to your point about, is it willful ignorance or is it, yes. you know, intentional? And she said, the most important question we need answered is actually quite simple. Is streaming profitable or not? These giant entertainment corporations are telling their workers that it is not. That streaming, which the corporations invented, made their business so unprofitable that the only way for these giant corporations to stay afloat is to continue to subvert our existing union protections, refuse to adopt any new ones, and drive down the cost of labor. At the same time, they're telling their shareholders that streaming is going to make them very rich. So who are these giant corporations lying to? Their workers that make the product or the shareholders that profit off of it? You should have her on. She seems great. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just read that and I was like, that's right. I got a screenshot this for Betsy. That's what I've been fussing It's so here. great. It's, it's, that's exactly right. And that, and you know, because they're public companies, we get all of their... We hear what their earnings calls are. We see those transcripts. Exactly. We know what they're saying. Yes, and we see what their salaries are. We see their public yes. salaries. We see how much we're making. And again, for those unfamiliar, the Guild is asking for a total of a little over 2% of... Under. Under 2%. Under 2%. If we got everything we wanted, yes. which we won't. Right. And we've already taken you know, a big chunk of that off the table. Sure. It is still less than 2% of the profits they make only on what we make. Wild. Not not Amazon's other profits. Wow. Yeah, only yeah, yeah. on the entertainment yes. that we write. Wow. Less than 2%. Right. So it's, it's even though, you, just, you know, the numbers, people, if you look at the raw numbers, you're like, they're asking for 400 million or whatever a year. It's like, it would still be less than 2% of what, what we make. And as you know, everything starts with us. Yes. And Nothing 400 exists. million, I've, I've been enjoying all these stats. 400 million sounds like a lot until you realize that it's less than one CEO's salary. Yeah. So 400 million split amongst all the writers 
versus 12,000. Yeah. 12,000 writers doesn't come out to as much as it sounds like on paper. That's right. And and we're part of a, you know, I think it's hard and it took me a minute and the Chris Kaiser really, um, who's the co-chair of the negotiating committee and really one of the smartest people I've ever met. I lightly love him. <laughs> he's a terrific guy. He's so articulate. He is. One of those moments where everyone watching was like, do we love him? Yeah. <laughs> do we love him? Do he's, we want to be his daughter or do we? I know. He's a yeah. delight. He's a delightful guy. I really like him a lot. Really smart. And he's super smart. But as he points out, I mean, this is the, the game and it's not a game that we understand mm-hmm. because it has also not really been here in Hollywood in the way that it's come in the last, you know, whatever, seven, eight, eight to you know, eight years or so, sure. but the game of you buy up a company, you take on debt, mm-hmm. you to write down that debt, you lay off workers, you cry poor because you're not showing profits. I mean, right. this is this game. You pay your CEOs a ton of money, right? As a reward, you dr- to try to drive as you lay off workers to drive the stock price up. I mean. This is this. There is a game that a playbook that is happening here that Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers Discovery did, and they, after laying off however many eight thousand workers and refusing to air like our good friend Bridges show mm-hmm. the Gordita, you know, Gordita shelving Chronicles. all these projects that were because they didn't want to have to promote them because they didn't want to have to pay residuals mm-hmm. by doing all of this. They then gave David Sasloff $252 million in a bonus. That's, it's disturbing. And as you know, this is the game that Amazon did for years and then came out the other side, the fourth largest company in the world. Right. It's selfish, money-making. It's greed. It's just corporate greed and and Wall Street. And it's a familiar, but it's here. It's here now. It's in our lap. And it's happening all over America, but currently happening for us. And we're the David that's having to stand up to this Goliath. Yeah. I mean, that is really what's happening. Amazing. Um, real quick, I do just want to get back to some of the other um, line items just to address the what we're asking for and why. Um, we've gone through AI. We've gone through, uh, oh, we a little bit lightly touched on um, production, which yeah. I think is great and the importance to pay writers for production. Um, one other thing is uh, weekly minimums, yeah. uh, which we've... If you want to, do you want to explain what, why we're asking for those? <laughs> well, we have weekly minimums currently for staff writers, which is the lowest level, and story editors. Mm-hmm. And we introduced a new writer producer tier because what's happening is they've put a cap on how much they'll pay people with experience. And so we were trying to get rid of that cap by, right. or at least raise the floor. If they're going to pay the floor and it's hard to combat that because I know agents are trying and they're struggling and they go to us saying, how can you help us? Mm -hmm. If we raise the floor, then overall, hopefully that that pay, that weekly pay will get closer to what the average producer, co-producer, co-EP level quote would be great for episodic. That's great. I love that. Uh, And then similarly, can you explain mini rooms and what we're fighting against? So mini rooms, which is a ridiculous, stupid term because a mini Agreed. room is makes it sound like it's some sort of a miniature. You know, in the Art Institute in Chicago, <laughs> they have those little miniature rooms down in the basement. You ever yeah, seen absolutely. them? Absolutely. And I love them. That's what I think of <laughs> every hilarious. time. It's hilarious. Yes. Room. So we're all just like little tiny. I love when they decorate them for Christmas. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
totally agree. Oh, that's I hilarious. I love that thing. So anyway. Yeah, they're, um, they're way more adorable in Chicago than they are in LA. I know, but really, they're not. But that's what I was picturing. Yes. Like, this, like a little tiny piano and a little tiny yeah, like, like Victorian chair. Yes, yeah, exactly. Dinette set. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but a mini room, as they've been known, it's just a writer's room, but it's a writer's room that they have for a shorter amount of time with usually fewer writers because that is separated from production. Got it. So there's also, there's a thing called um, pre-green light mini rooms or development rooms, depending on the way you look at it. The pre-green light rooms is, it's a room that they've put together of writers that will be um, working on a, you know, they will basically develop a pilot and maybe the entire season of a show, mm-hmm. they won't necessarily get any credit on that show. They're then let go because everything's done before the show is ordered. Right. So a green light is when they say, yes, we're going to make your episodes. And this usually is the work that's done before any kind of show is ordered. So from the company's perspective, they're like, well, we just pay a bunch of writers to do all these, break all these stories and write all these scripts, that's a lot cheaper than going into production and spending 10 million or 12 million or $15 million on an, on a one hour pilot mm-hmm. of a series. We'll just spend, you know, they try to do it really cheap, but let's say we'll spend $500,000 on it. We'll get all the writing. And then at that point we can really decide if we want to take a risk by green lighting the series. Right. Which is, Really shitty because these quote unquote mini rooms are the exact same amount of work yes. and oftentimes the identical to what a real writer's room is. You it's, are still, it is totally identical. They are, they are making you seem like it is less worthy and are therefore paying you less um, That's because correct. your show might not go. Yeah. And so what are the guardrails that the Guild is proposing? Well, what we're trying to do is raise the rates to a premium rate for the pre-green light mini rooms because right. That's the first... The, the early season work, as you know, yeah. you've been there now many, many times. The the early work of any kind of a series, starting with a pilot and then, you know, going forward into the first season is the most valid. That's that, that's the blueprint yep. for the entire. So that's when you're, you know, establishing and inventing so many characters and relationships, the storylines. I mean, the launch. Think about anybody who watched any of your, your favorite shows, how, how those first six... 10, 12, 20 episodes were everything. That's the basement, the foundation, the basement, and all of the structural, you know, all of the the building of that house, all of it. I mean, that's what it is. Absolutely. And so our argument is if you're going to do that before you have a green light, then you have got to pay writers a premium. Yeah, I love that. And what's what's the name of the man I just admitted to loving, but I don't know. Chris Kaiser. Chris. Okay, I will just say Chris really, um, that one I was really interested by because I was like, oh, how are we going to combat that? And the jargon he used during one of the WJ meetings that I really loved was that um, when you sell a show, if you sell a pitch, you get paid significantly more for that pilot episode than you would if you're just writing episode six of a show. That's correct. Because that is harder work. Yes. So similarly... The mini room should be treated like development That's where correct. you are getting paid more to lay the foundation for something important. That's correct. Um, anyway. That's Chris absolutely Kaiser. right. Okay, great. So that's wonderful. Um, the other basics are like weeklies and minimums and just like raising yeah. uh, with the standard of living. Cause as we know, um, writer salary has gone down 14% in the last five years, not accounting for inflation. Mm-hmm. And that is gross considering how much more money the studios have been making. Peak TV. In peak yeah. TV, writer pay went down 
and their budgets have ballooned. I mean, they're, yeah. again, evidence that they, they're willing to spend the money. Mm-hmm. They just don't want to spend it on writers and they're right. trying to save it on us. Yeah, which is infuriating. Um, and then the last big thing I wanted to touch on is residuals. Yeah. Um, so residuals. We should have them. Yeah, thank you. I agree. I got one today for 003 have you Dollar? noticed that I signed those checks? Yeah, I love it. It's the only thing that gets me to deposit the three cent checks is I go, hi, Betsy. My favorite thing I is deposit. when people take pictures and send them to oh, me. It well, always makes me oh, laugh. Great. And people's like, that's what your signature looks like. It's I'm good. Like, no, it's not my signature. Oh, it's just the- because if I put my real signature on it and sent my real signature off for anybody to like, I can't have my identity stolen. I had to fake a signature. That's hysterical. That is not really mine. But I mean, I signed it, but yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. my actual that is hilarious. top secret signature. So funny, Betsy, and something I never would have thought about. And smart, very smart. Um, Betsy was also at two different... Two pickets today. Yeah, today alone. Yeah, today alone, two pickets. That's my usual day. I try to do two different... um, This was such a great reason to not be out there till five o'clock. Or in the case of last Friday, I was out there till almost eight o'clock at night. Wow, Bradford, And not just picketing, but leading the pickets, talking to press, talking to deadline answering questions, yeah. organizing writers. Yeah, talking to other writers, talking to, you know, um, p- politicians that come out, you know, just generally trying to get the message out. I talked to some Teamsters Yeah, Friday night, three guys who had, who were awesome and didn't want, won't, wouldn't cross our picket. So I went That's out so and awesome. talked to them while they ate burritos out of the back end of the guys like Suburban. Hell yes. And, uh, <laughs> and I just was telling them why we were here, what we're doing, why, why this is not just about us. It's about all of us. Amazing. And, you know, and, and they were, they were so great. God, that's so rad. It's been really, really cool seeing, um, everybody rise to the occasion and join us. That has made me feel so hopeful yeah. knowing that we have support oh, and that yeah. we're willing to offer that same support when those negotiations come around. For sure. Um, okay, wait, so residuals real quick. Uh, every time you write an episode of television uh, and it says written by <laughs> everyone's favorite photo for Instagram, uh, the networks or can re- air your episode yeah and each when it's reused whenever you see a rerun yes um and also even in streaming they have to pay residuals yes, because any say, reuse the they have to because reuse so the companies pay us but then they make money off of the reuse yes so taylor writes an episode of television it airs the first time okay great well remember when they re-air that and they used to do it all the time in the summer but mm-hmm. when they re-air that episode they're still getting ad revenue. Right. They're get, they're getting the same ad revenue basically as they were for the brand new episode. So they then have to pay a fee, you know, residual payment for that episode. And it's not just to writers, it's to directors, it's to actors. Mm-hmm. We all have residuals. It's because everybody worked and deserves to be paid for their work. Yes. And so. if, and reuse is the same thing. You're, now you're continuing to profit off of that purchase. Right. It would be like buying a book, photocopying it, and then selling all the other versions of the book. That's true. Myself and only taking the cut, the cut myself. Yes. As opposed to the author getting what That's anything. a really good, that's, I'm going to use that. Great. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Oh, it's all yours. I'm thrilled. Okay, <laughs> Honored. Um, but yes, and, and that's what's happening. And so it was easier back in the day to at least calculate how many times we were re-seeing there were reruns uh, and therefore how much the studios and the networks would owe us accordingly correct but things have shifted with streaming yes now they 
put a, a show on their platform for unlimited reuse and it can sit there forever. Right. And, you know, the, the obvious question is, well, why can't they just show you how many views it's had? Right. Well, they can. Yes. But they won't. How is that legal? It drives me crazy. It's a good question. I don't know how what the illegality of it, but it's something that all of the unions are frustrated and have been trying to get them to do. And it'll be interesting because so many of these services, the other thing is we have so much of this information because certain services have gone to an ad supported. I just, I don't know if you feel like this. I just, I'm like, I cannot, how much money am I hemorrhaging on all the various so ser- much. <laughs> I'm like, it's, this is like, my God, it's like my mortgage. So I finally got to this place where I was like, we're getting the ad Hulu. We're going to pay for it because it's cheaper when you get Hulu and you do, you say, fine, I'll see the ads. Yeah. So when you have that, because they have, are, are selling ads, the ad people are like, you're going to tell us how many people are watching this. Great. So that information actually is going out, is out there if it's ad, if it's on, they're using ads in their, in their, uh, I don't even know what it's called. When it's ad based, sure. Yeah. But if it's ad supported, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that's good to know. So there's the tiniest bit of negotiating power in terms of, but by, but for the rest of it, that is under the table that they won't release or tell us how many views there are. It makes it harder for us to negotiate uh, how much they should pay us. And so instead of paying us like they did with the network model, the streaming model is essentially you get paid your flat fee the first time that your uh, episode airs and then your annual fee decreases exponentially yes. by years. So the first time I get a residual, it's great. It's a couple thousand dollars and we Which love is still it. a fraction of what y- you yes. got in broadcast. But yes. I, I was going to say, I don't even I listen. I'm in your beautiful home right now. Like, ah, oh, back in the day. <laughs> it's it's gorgeous. All you said, well, that's what we're trying to get back to. We're trying to get back to there was a time where when you had a few years under your belt, you bought a house. Right. I, I bought a house based on my salaries that I made writing television and features. Yeah. And I mean, I bought a house when I when I was 29 years old. <laughs> at the top of Doheny in Breaking West Hollywood. Down. Jesus Christ. That was what that's you used to be able to do that because yeah. you were properly compensated. Yeah. When I find that found out how little the minimums in I mean in the guild's done a great job. It's not that, but yes. I'm like I started as a feature writer. All the when I wrote back then, you had a two-step deal with a, a polish. Yeah. That's what everybody got. Yeah. That was standard. And then I was like, oh, those are gone. Like what screeners right. have gone through is what I, what we had. Plus same thing is the residuals, because you don't work year round in this, it's just too right. impossible. Oftentimes when you're in television, you're working easily a 12 hour day, mm-hmm. sometimes longer. Mm-hmm. And you, they're really long hours. It's very intense, stressful work making that television show you then have usually you have a hiatus, which is you have a couple months of downtime, mm-hmm. or you're on a show for 13 episodes and the show gets canceled, which happens all the time, mm-hmm. and it did back then. Yeah. Residuals allow you to get through those lean times. Right. Well, when you get rid of residuals, which they they're not rid of, but they're not fair, and right. you're not they're not properly compensated. Right. It puts so, and you only have these short little order orders like right. of eight episodes or six episodes or ten episodes the pressure it puts on writers to be able to piece together enough to make their year to just be able to pay rent 
let alone do something like buy a house, Mm -hmm. then you couple with that is you've got an industry that kind of has to be based out of Los Angeles. Yeah. One of the most expensive places to live other than New York, the other place it has to be based out of. (laughs) So you've got like, it's a perfect storm of a lot of different things that has made this career untenable. Yeah. And again, I mean, back in the day when it was 23 episodes, lower level writers especially would get the chance to write one, if not two, if not possibly even three episodes a season. So not only would they be employed uh, at a weekly fee for, you know, up to 40 weeks like, or yeah. possibly even 50, they were getting paid residuals uh, and script fees on multiple per season. Now that we are down to six episodes, you're lucky if you get to split an episode in your second season. That's right. <laughs> with your showrunner. And because of that, you know, you're, you, it's only six episodes. You're working 20 weeks instead of 40. That's already half. Now you're splitting one episode instead of you're lucky to be working own. 20 weeks. I mean, so lucky. Yes. I'm I mean, saying yeah. I'm not lucky. I'm being slightly sarcastic, but I mean, truthfully, a lot of yeah. people are working 10 weeks on yeah. six episodes. Yeah. No, I mean, we, I did a, I did a 10 episode room in 14 weeks. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. I loved, everyone I worked with, but it was bananas and just feels. And again, it was one of those things where it was like, are you going to stay on because we want to finish the show and we want to make it good. And it was like, well, yeah, because I want to make it good. So they're, so again, it's taking advantage of writers wanting to make a quality show so that they can keep working without paying them. That's right. Yeah. Can you imagine those CEOs doing that? Like, look, we're not paying you anymore. But will you just stay on? We know you're having so much fun. Because we just, we just, we know you want to do a good job. They'd be like, no, fuck you. Truly fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Which, why can't we do? It's so hard. It's so hard. It's, 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 <sighs> I always say, with no offense to CEOs. Yeah. I'm just, I'm not wired like they are. No, neither. Clearly me. <laughs> Clearly me neither. And so I, I don't really totally understand how they do what they do because yeah. it's not the way I look at the world. No, I agree. I, I couldn't imagine looking at the world thinking I deserve all this money and everyone making my product deserves none of it. Or I'd need to make as much money as possible for not just myself, but for the company. I just... Uh, right. It's making making enormous amounts of money has never been my priority. Yeah. I mean, and that's probably why we're in the position we are because a lot of writers will think that's that true. Way. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, okay. So what happens next? So now we, we, these are the things we went to the table for. These are the reasons we went to the table for them. And now we strike. Um, how do you feel about picketing? This is not your first strike, right? No, my second strike. Okay. With a, I had a four month old and a Bjorn. Aww. And I did nurse in a, my, f- friend Sebastian Jones's wife, Corey, would pull over with her ma- van so I could nurse my son on the picket line. Jesus. <laughs> it was dark days. Yeah. It was not fun. No, definitely and, not. And, you know, I, I, if it is solace to anybody out there who's listening, um, Michelle Mulroney, our vice president, Maristine, our president, and I all, we were all striking. So were David and Chris. We all picketed in 2007. We all had children. Meredith and I had brand new little tiny babies. Meredith, Michelle, and I all have two writer households. So our f- entire income is the Writers Guild of America. Wow! So it, it, we, the fear that anybody is feeling, yeah, we all have felt. We understand. We sympathize. That's why you can text me as much as you want, and I'm yes. never frustrated <laughs> because we we felt that, and we it was 
brutal. It was one of the worst times of my entire life. It was so hard. My, I have pictures. It was just misery. We were scared. Are we going to lose our house? Are we going to lose, you know, my, I had, the day we went on strike was the first day of season two of My Boys. Oh, and I was, te- you know, I was like, am I going to lose my show? Yeah. We were worried about all of that. Right. And, um, and so the fact that we voted for this strike and feel strongly about it, mm-hmm. if it should be a solace to everybody out there that that's, None of us take it lightly in any way. And we all remember so vividly how scary that was. Yeah. And feel as though striking was beneficial. Well, we wouldn't have the internet. Yeah. Wild. That's so wild. I mean, it, it, I can't, when I think about what would have happened had we not, it's terrifying. Yeah. I, that's... One of the things that happens with the AMPTP, AMPTPA, is, they, <laughs> is that the concrete dries pretty quickly. So if you don't get ahead of it, it is oftentimes too late to change it right? because it becomes a standard practice. And so had we not gotten the internet, I think three years later it would have been too late and we would never yeah. have gotten the terms and the, the foothold that we have. Which is why it feels important to get in ahead of AI. And honestly, a lot of these things that we're talking about are things with like mini rooms and, mm-hmm. you know, staying through production and the development rooms and all this sort of stuff that we're dealing with now, writers through production, all that were things we needed to address in 2020, but the pandemic leveled right. our strike threat. So we we just, they were not willing. I mean, they just laughed at us about free work for screenwriters, something that we tried very much to get. They wouldn't even engage whatsoever. Wow. Comedy variety minimums, all that stuff. So three years has passed. Mm-hmm. And so that just saying like, these are things, so much of what we're talking about, we needed to deal with in 2020. And right. I really thought in 2020 we would strike. But yeah. that was before... Yes. The global pandemic swept, <laughs> yeah, sure, swept us away. Sure. <laughs> Something slightly bigger than all of us. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. It's really interesting to just hear how you felt being on the picket line back then. Yeah, it was and terrible. Seeing, and then, by the way, it's terrible just so you totally. know, and I know you know this because you know me, but for the people that don't, you know, my husband Adrian uh, three was up at 3.30 this morning and was at CBS Radford picketing with three other people trying to hold down two gates to keep a line for the Teamsters to honor. Amazing. And he's texting me at 6.30 going, are you up? Are you up? I need reinforcements. Somebody had to leave. We now only have three. I'm texting people trying to get anybody to go over there to try to give him relief or support. They needed support. One of our board members was coming from, had been doing the same exact thing at Universal. He came over from Universal. He was doing that. I was at Disney by, only because I had a school meeting for my kid. I was at Disney at nine. Then I, you know, ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like an Uncrustables, guys. It's super glamorous <laughs> being on the board. On my way to CBS Radford, where I was, you know, and he was talking about, he then went to Disney with me at nine, and he was at Disney until noon. And at hour eight of picketing, I was like, you need to go home. Yeah. You need to go home, and you need to rest, and you yeah. need to get food, and you need to, like, take care of yourself. And he wanted to go to something else at five o'clock, and I had to be like, no. Cut off. <laughs> I'm cutting you off. Yeah. So everyone on the board negotiating committee is out there picketing minimum four or five hours a day. Most of them doing double shifts, That's doing amazing. location pickets. Yeah. Like the the stress of the strike is we feel very strongly like we 
we don't, our members are, this is not on the back of our members. Like this is, this is our fight. We're all in this together. Well, and we all want to help. So reach out when things like that happen. Cause we also have a network of people who'd be more than happy. Well, to we join. are actually spreading it. That's actually okay, being great. put together. And there's good, there is a, a network of people because that, that is what we need to do. Well, like, and it's, it's been effective. Help. I mean, I saw, you know, Adrian stopped a production. I saw Mike Royce posted. It was him and two other people who stopped another production. It's, it's working. Yeah. The picketing shut down the live MTV show that was supposed to happen. They shut down a Marvel production, a East, Disney production. East shut shut down Daredevil and Severance today in yep. the, in in the East in right. New York, which amazing. is fantastic. So amazing. Stranger Things shut down. Yeah. We're shutting down big productions, and in doing so, showing them that picketing works. That it's not just us, but having the Teamsters willing to honor our lines yeah. and and sticking is incredible. It's everything, and and ideally, we'll show them that we mean business. Yeah. And <laughs> right? I think that, the, and I think that also, you know, we loot shut down because Maya Rudolph refused to cross a picket line. Oh yes. Maya, I didn't know that. That yeah. rocks. And you know, they were going to try to shoot. I just heard this today, Michael Malley's show and John Cryer, who's my neighbor. Shout out. Hi, John. Hmm. Um, he, he said, I'm not going to do it without the writers. Amazing. And that is, the true solidarity yeah. is for us to stand there together because SAG's right behind us. SAG's been out picketing with us every day. Absolutely. They understand like that writers are involved in every piece of this process. You can't go shooting without us. It's right. a, it, it doesn't work. And so, you know, many like the Duffer brothers shut down their own production because they said, we're not going to do it. Amazing. There's been others who, you know, cast who have said, we're not going to do this without the writers because we know what their value is. Right. And, you know, and then for those that don't fall into those categories, you know, we have to kind of try to make a stand to shut down production because our Teamster friends are helping us and, and, and try to, you know, inflict as much pain on the studios as we possibly can. Yeah, that's amazing. So what happens next? Who makes the next move? I have a very cold bottle of Chardonnay in my... <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> get it, it right now. <laughs> I'm going to be, the next move will be me going to there. Great. I love that. Um, I, I, I appreciate that, but the move after that. Oh yeah. After is that, it, after is that, after it, that. Uh, and, I, and um, I'm ready to stop anytime. So question. So, well, speaking of the next move, the next move that I saw happening, cause it seems like, okay, we agreed to strike. We hit the picket lines. And then as you know, based on another one of my texts, I was nervous because I saw that the studios had sent out emails threatening showrunners. Oh, they, they did that. They've done yes. that. And they've done that in the past. Oh, they, they did it in 2007. It's a very familiar little playbook. It is. And, and will you explain it? And unfortunately, when you haven't been through it, it's really, really scary. It was very jarring to read. Right. But the truth is, it's, you know, as Tony Siegel, who's our legal counsel, says, they're not going to sue right. 600 people, 300 people. They're right. not going to do that. Right. It's a scare tactic. Okay. But it's really interesting well, and what they did, just to reiterate for those who aren't familiar, is they emailed showrunners saying, uh, you are required to show up to work tomorrow to do your non-writing Yeah, you're producing work. duties. Yes. You're, pr you're producing duties. Which right. again, goes back to our conversations about them trying to differentiate between production and writing as if production isn't all writing part Correct. of the process. And um, basically said, we will not pay you um, threatening words. You can find it on the internet. Um, and so I texted Betsy being like, oh no, is this going to work? Are the showrunners going to be like, okay, I guess we have to do this, thus negating 
everything. Yeah. And Betsy said, no, they, we've had a lot of showrunner outreach. We knew this was going to happen. Okay, great. And we had a big meeting on Saturday, showrunner meeting with all our showrunners and Mm -hmm. the support is overwhelming. Right. And, you know, I think that there's, some people are confused about what they can do and they can't do. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, again, you have a desire of like, well, I'm not going to go in or I'm not going to do any writing. I'm just going to finish up editing. It's like, the core of what our argument here is, is that writing happens in all phases. Yes. And so if that's what we're saying, our members can't then turn around and walk a different walk. Right. Like we have to be united in that, in that, in that. And then in, in addition, by the way, just so you know, because my, I, my friend, my friend Darlene Hunt, I saw this morning on the Disney line and she told me this and I thought, oh, that's so perfect. She's not, does not currently have a show, but got a letter from, she has an overall deal and got a letter from them saying, we will be suspending your pay because you will not be performing any writing duties. And she's like, but I'm a producer. And she didn't say that to them. But the point being, they use it as a convenient argument to be threatening on one side, but then also to cut off your pay on the other. When they consider that writing is producing. Like it's very hypocritical the way that they're approaching this because they don't really have an argument. But I mean, look, the playbook is, and this is not just our playbook, it's any union action. Mm-hmm. The first thing you try to do is splinter the membership. Mm-hmm. And that's through intimidation, misinformation, yes. get the press on your side. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are all the things that it doesn't matter who they are. It could be the restaurant and hotel workers. It could be a nurse's union, the teacher's union. It doesn't matter who you are. This is the playbook they do for union. Yeah. And then, you know, Carol Lombardini, who runs the AMPTP, She's been around a long time. She was there in 2007. Mm-hmm. She just dusted off the playbook from her desk and just started, you know, just calling plays from that. So yeah. it was everything that we expected. We knew they were going to come out. We actually predicted to the letter what their statement was going to say Amazing. when we went on. We knew what they were going to say. Yeah. They were going to say it was minimum staff size because that has been something that's been talked a lot about within our membership. Yes, it's, and again, the minimum staff, I forgot to get into that because that yeah, we still can. tricky. When it first came up to us on the negotiating committee, there was a lot of conversation and many people, including myself, were like, I, I don't really, how are, you know, I, I don't understand like how we can't really tell showrunners who they can hire, how many people they can hire and mm-hmm. any of that kind of stuff. And that's not what we're saying. What right. we're saying is in the MBA, which is the minimum basic agreement, which is the contract that we have, mm-hmm. there is nothing that codifies the existence of a writer's room. Wild. There is literally nothing stopping what we see happening, which is first you got to mini rooms Mm -hmm. and you got rid of writers in terms of production. Mm -hmm. The next step is we, because we already know this is happening. We pay one showrunner and the rest are all freelance scripts. Yep. So nobody gets any weeklies. Right. So it doesn't matter what we negotiate in terms of weeklies. It doesn't matter anything that we do. Yeah. If there is no writer's room, then writers don't get paid. Wild. And a lot of, you know, showrunners say, well, like, yeah, but they're not going to do that. They know they need writers. Well, then most of those showrunners are living still in the network television model where you do because you're in production and you're churning through scripts and you need writers and it's multi-cam or even if you're doing, you know, single camera dramas, like that, that process has ensured a need for writers Mm -hmm. to be there and do a large room, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was on a show um, and I don't know how big your rooms have been, but I was on a show that I didn't run. And I think we had 15 or 16 in a half wow. hour multi-cam room. 
And now with this disconnection and with these mini rooms, it's conceivable. You could just have one and they could just move everybody else to freelance. Yeah. And if that happens, yeah, it will decimate the Writers Guild of America. Right. I also, I mean, I've been in rooms with anywhere from six to probably 15 writers. And I will say the rooms have always benefited from more people. There never because are. There's too many. It, it drives me nuts it, it, when people are like, "Well, it's 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 basically only excu- exclusively pointing to Mike White, right?" Like, which well, he's right, by the way, fine with it because again, with the number of writers, you know, we take in our negotiation, we have a starting point. That yeah. starting point is always it'd be great if we could get it, but we are not naive. We understand right. what a negotiation is. Mm-hmm. We all do it in our regular deals, right? Your agent says, "I'm going to go in with this." You're like, "They're never going to pay me that." Yeah. And they never do. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, you get someplace, you know, below the shit, shit offer they gave you. Yes. And the one that your agent offered and there's and someplace in between is, yes. is where you end. Yes. So the same thing with where we, how we approach our negotiations. Mm-hmm. And the truth is this proposal, even our starting point mm-hmm. would affect om- like very few shows. Out of there was something like however, however many of the shows that were that were produced last year, let's say it's four hundred. Mm-hmm. Less than ten, fewer than ten had no staff because they were an auteur like Mike White right. or Craig Mazin. Mm-hmm. Like people talk about Craig Mazin and Last mm-hmm. Among Us. Yes, he has a writer's room for season two. Great. His choice. Great. So the the fact is that it and you know Meredith Steam talks about it. She did a show for Amazon. She had a whole writing staff. Mm-hmm. She wrote all the episodes, mm-hmm. but she had a full staff yes. who worked for 16 yes. weeks or whatever they worked for and got the minimums, which also includes the health and pension contributions. So that allows them to have health care. Right. Also, by the time you are writing an episode, if your room is good enough, it should be essentially data entry. Like you should have everything you need from the scenes if it's a comedy you should have your joke pitches if it's a drama you have all of your dramatic turns and then you are doing the remainder of the dialogue yeah so your team is so important it is invaluable despite the fact you might see one name just saying written by yeah Um, and also the the two fears i want to dispel quickly is like well well they're going to make me hire 12 people and i only want six our starting offer was six right so we we Almost nobody will be negatively affected by this, but who it's there to help are the many showrunners that stand up at these meetings and tell us, I did a show, we had eight episodes, they said I could hire two writers (laughs) outside of me for the entirety. That's bananas. We've heard this, several showrunners being offered bonuses to not hire a staff. No way. Yes. That's so gross. We'll give you a $100,000, $200,000 bonus to not hire staff. That is so gross. Because that's still cheaper than if they actually yeah. had to hire a writing staff for you know yeah. 12 weeks, 14 weeks, First 16 of all, weeks. gross. Second of all, if you really care about your product, I would be like, no, thank well, you. I need I need my support. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. The The other thing that drives me nuts with that too is, is that the smaller the rooms I've been in, the more work that everyone has to do is it's as in anything, any, as in any other industry, if all of a sudden you work in PR and they take away your two assistants and the person above you, you are going to be slammed with more work. There have been the lower, the shows that I've worked on with less people. We have worked Saturday, Sundays. We have worked full nights, 7am table read at eight. We have worked absolutely nonstop, which is 
unhealthy, unsustainable, and and just what is going? How how is this happening? And for less pay? That's exactly right. I mean, yeah. you you just you said it all. It is, and it's what's happening. By the way, it's not just us. I was just talking to um, earlier to the hotel and restaurant workers union, and they're going through that. I mean, what happened yeah. is during yeah. the pandemic, they let everybody go because of travel and because of restaurants. Mm-hmm. And then they've been hiring back, but they hire back fewer people because Ugh. they're trying to save money. So the people that are working in the hotels and restaurants, as you know, from having been in a restaurant or hotel, mm-hmm. you're like, why is the service so bad? It's because they're not hiring enough people back because they've figured out how to save costs. Right. And they're just seeing how much they can get away with. Yes, how much they can exploit their workers. And that's exactly what's happening to yeah. us. That's, yep. And so that brings up another good point. I want to get back to um, the DGA and SAG are all heading into negotiations within the next couple months. Um, but it's not just the industry that has labor unions that are heading into negotiations in the next year. Um, there was a great article that was basically discussing how this isn't just important for people in the industry. Um, this is important for unions across America. Yeah, it was a great, it was The Guardian, I think. Yes, I exactly. sent it to you guys. Yes, I think I put you. it on that. It's, it was so great. That article is really great. Um, well, this is, I mean, that's what I loved about it. Cause that's really the truth. I mean, the truth is what we're going through here. Mm-hmm. And I think why there's so much national and international, like the guardian mm-hmm. attention on this and also so much solidarity is because we are in a real crisis point in yeah. terms of labor in America and not just labor in America, but labor in America as a real flashpoint is probably not the right word. I actually, what does flashpoint mean? I've always wondered, I always want to use it, but I never feel confident with it. Uh, so let's, let's, I'm going to say let's it. Go, and, let's and go with it. Write letters. Perfect. I hope people write letters yeah, and tell me I'm using comment it on us with definitions. Yes. That's what this is really about. Yeah. If you could just fact check us, go for it. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, but I think that we're at a, it, it, in terms of the eradication of the middle class in this country. Yes. And I think, you know, we talk about it politically, but let's take it out of that, which is it's Wall Street. I mean, it's corporations and it's Wall Street Mm -hmm. and it's profits over people and people are feeling it everywhere. Right. You're feeling it in the airlines and how shitty flying Mm. on on a plane is now and trying to take a flight anywhere. And like what happened with Southwest Airlines, you know, that is about we don't have enough regulation. Mm hmm. That stuff was so much regulation was disbanded and those re- regulation protect consumers. But what's happening is the corporate profits and the need to be constantly, the need for Wall Street to be constantly posting bigger and bigger profits to drive your stock price up. Mm-hmm. That is what is in control right. of what's going on worldwide, but particularly in this country is what we're feeling. And so, you know, this is not just us. This is anyone and i you know i love that people like to think of themselves as you know they say like but you have this big house you're not labor if someone signs my paycheck i'm labor and that's what we have to remember like we are all we are not work you know we don't own this company right <laughs> and and that that what is happening you know and I, as i said i think this is i'm repeating myself now but i think this is why we're getting a lot of support and international attention mm-hmm. because People are feeling it everywhere, except for, you know, internationally, I think they have a lot more protection. Right. You know, the Wild West of the United States is we should have fewer protections. We should have fewer rules. We should let the banks do whatever the hell they want. (laughs) Free market. And, you know, and it's 
there's a reason that I just was over in, in Europe last summer and then for Christmas and it's like, oh my gosh, everything's so clean. And why are there so much, so fewer homeless people? And why is it that you don't, like there was just it, one after another and then you talk to them, it's like, well, we have uni- universal health care, and well, we have, they pay to clean up our streets. I mean, that's what we, it, take, it comes out of our taxes and the regulations are, that if you get delayed, if they cancel your flight in, in Europe, they have to pay you a massive penalty. Amazing. We don't have that. No. So we're just continuing to have a shittier and shittier, shittier yeah. day-to-day existence. And for you all who are younger than I am, you know, you don't, I, I feel like a grandmother now, which technically I'm probably old enough to be, but shut your mouth if you say that I am. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, I, when I talk about how things used to be mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so, we all talk about it. It's just so shitty now. Yeah. And you know, when you're young, you don't have a perspective to right. know because you didn't know the other thing. Right. All we see is that none of us can buy houses, even though we've been working consistently for eight years and yeah. we worry about healthcare costs and maternity leave is practically non-existent. Yeah. And our streets are dirty. Our homeless crisis is exponential. Off the charts. And yeah. And it seems like it's just hard to get people to listen and care. It. It is, and it's hard, and it, the problems feel so gigantic. They do. And I think that we all, all sit there and wonder, like, what can I do? What can I do? And we try to do things in our own way. But that's the truth of why I do this, because yeah. this is something I can do. Yeah. And it's like, I, I can't solve the homeless problem. That feels daunting to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying I can solve all the writer's problems, but I think those of us, you know, this is something we can do. We can make a stand. We can say, enough. You know, we can finally make a stand against this, yeah. these abuses. And, you know, the, the, the truth is as long as it takes. And, and, you know, nobody wants to strike to end faster than me. But I also know that the longer we stay out, the more strength we show and solidarity, the better deal we'll get. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing we have to hold on to. Absolutely. And, and to your point about feeling like you can only help the writers... I firmly believe that staying union strong isn't just for us because if we can set that precedent and show them that David can defeat Goliath, that our union can win what we deserve, then it ignites a fire under other unions to prove that they can do the same and will hopefully be a trickle effect to change things on a bigger scale. hundred percent. And it like, if we lose to Amazon, what does that say to all those Amazon workers? Oh, God, I know. Like, we have to... Yeah. You know, the world is watching, and we need to be on... We have an opportunity to be on the forefront of Union Strong and unions making a difference yeah. and and giving that power to uh, people who have a lot worse jobs than we have 110%. and a lot harder time. Mm-hmm. And are a, a smaller minority. Yes. Because in, in our business unions are the minority or the majority. Yes. We're all Which, union. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so in doing so, hopefully, oh man, also real quick, just because this is, we have been talking about writers. I want to credit guardian article was written by Hamilton Nolan called yeah. this historic writer strike matters for everyone, not just Hollywood. If you want to check it out, it's got some really amazing stuff. Um, not just about what we're talking about, but more about AI, more about um, basically how these large corporations are just trying to marginalize people to juice profits. It's a a phenomenal article and worth a read. 
Um, let's see a few other questions for you, and then I promise I'll let when you get that. When do the callers start? Do when do the callers call in and ask me like, "So Betsy, what's your favorite ice cream?" Does that happen? That's me <laughs> in the middle of the night later, being like, "Hey, Bets, thanks again. <laughs> I had the wine you gave me, and now I have other questions." <laughs> yeah, so sorry. I, I could only I reserve wait. that phone number. Uh, <laughs> there's not enough space in her text thread for the rest of you. It's me and Josh <laughs> Melmoth only. Maybe some Noahs, maybe some yeah. Nickies. We'll get. I was there. with Noah today. I oh, you were. Oh my god! I can't believe I didn't see either of you. I gotta, I yeah. I'll text you guys this week. Yeah. Um. Yeah, we were in the same place. Um. Okay. The other, the only other things I wanted to ask you is, are the questions that you know I know are unanswerable, but how are you feeling about this? Are you feeling hopeful about the outcome of the strike? Of course. Wonderful. I this last week has been so incredibly affirming, and I I just feel like there's so much solidarity. People are so behind what we're doing in the leader in the guild and, mm-hmm. and and behind the leadership that I just feel like the sky's the limit for us. I mean, I just think that it may not be fast right. because they're going to try to break us and we just have to get through that. But yep. when we do, I think we're going to have a great deal and we're going to save writing. Wonderful. I love that. And then I know you already said this in the beginning that you can't guess how many days. The longest strike that we've had was what? 130? It was that, yeah, 100 days was 2007. And then I think there was something else in the 80s that yeah. was much longer. It was like almost six months or something. Yeah. But that was the 80s. But you can't anticipate. We didn't have We didn't have social media then. Yeah. You know, and I think social media, speaking of, has, you know, we in 2007 barely we didn't had have anything No, going we didn't on. have any social yeah. media. So I think it's interesting. Oh, we had especially, AOL. Yeah. There you go. And MySpace. MySpace. <laughs> um, especially in terms of controlling the media. Um, it's easier for fake news to get out there, but it's also easier for us to call it out. That's right. And so if you're, if you're following the Betsy's of the world, if you're following the actual party leaders who know what they're talking about and are in the negotiations and not just the rhetoric coming from, you know, uncle Bob on Facebook, like you, uh, you have the capacity to spread, same to spread, um, to spread our message faster and to more people and actually get the real message across instead of just relying on, you know, a couple deadline articles with shoddy headlines. Yeah. The, 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 you know, the truth is anything that, as we always say to the writers, believe everything that comes out of us because we tell the absolute truth because yes. we have to for many, for every reason, including like, it's just members talking to members. The transparency has been amazing. Right. We, I'm so grateful we, for we're it. We're completely transparent. Yeah. We'll tell you the truth. And big grain of salt when you read it from anything else. Although I do like The Guardian and I really like that Hamilton Nolan article. Yeah, me too. But, but particularly anything coming out of Hollywood or if you hear it's yeah. like from the producers or this executive said. Yes. <laughs> I think you just, you have to know that's part of their pro studio, propaganda. (laughs) My other questions for you. Do you think that there is a chance that, you know, all of us doing this together, the fact that they all happen to be colliding? Well, I mean, we're not, you know, DJ is going to go in this week. I wish they weren't, to be quite honest, negotiating while we're on strike. I feel like that's a little bit of a code violation in my opinion. Oh, interesting. You you think they should just be pushing it off completely? I think if they, I think the strongest position we have is if they and SAG, you know, refuse to negotiate until they negotiate with the Writers Guild and ultimately went on strike. Amazing. This whole thing would end immediately. So yeah. And you are a member of the DGA. I am. Right? Yeah. But they're never going to do that. And they're yeah. going to go in this week. And I don't know what's going to happen. You right. know, we'll see what yeah. kind of deal they make if they make a deal and what that deal is. But it, it doesn't really affect us in the okay. sense that our problems are our problems. Right. 
And we're used to having to solve our own problems. Yep. So we'll solve our own problems. Wonderful. I love to hear that. Thank you so much, Betsy. Truly. I'm so grateful. Is there anything else that I've forgotten to ask you that you'd like to add? Any last words before I read you your eulogy? I think the hill to die on is this is my hill to die on. <laughs> Great. This is my hill to die and on. And I love it. This is our hill to die on. It, absolutely. This is, this is absolutely our hill to die on. And I love that. We've gathered here today to celebrate the life of Betsy Thomas, who tragically died on the hill of writers deserve a fair contract slash this is the hill we should all be dying on. Betsy survived by a number of wonderful projects, uh, all of which are at a halt right now due to this gorgeous strike. Uh, but you can follow Betsy's legacy on Instagram at btomer. That's B-T-H-O-M-E-R. And uh, hit her up on the picket line CBS Rad for Baby she's there she's at Disney she's on I'm call over, on her yeah. phone she's apparently sending Adrian out at all hours the night text me I will at least bring Adrian coffee uh, Betsy we are so grateful for your time here on this podcast and this earth may you rest in peace thank you I'm dead thank you <laughs> Hey guys, thank you for listening to Hills I Die On. If you like what you hear, don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review letting us know what you think. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at Hills I Die On Podcast and on Twitter at Hills I Die On. Follow me on Twitter slash Instagram at I'm Taylor Cox. Thanks again for listening and hope to see you next week.